Hello and welcome to another Fine Mez, Global Capital's dedicated securitization podcast. I'm Tom Lemon, your host for today, and I'm joined as ever by the Brains Trust that is European Securitization Reporter George Smith and European CLO Reporter Victoria Teeler. Hello. Hello. Hello, Tom. Now, you lot took the mick out of me last week uh, for doing too many interviews and not enough chit-chat with you, but I would like to add that last week's episode with Joel Holsinger from Aries had the most downloads of the series ever. So, uh, Vindication. Yes, yeah. As the, the, no one likes listening to us, but if you if you get a investor or bank or whatever on the phone, um, people will turn up. Um, but I also have some more good feedback for you. You know, um, apparently a subscriber was dealing with their renewal, and uh, and they told one of our colleagues that they're very disappointed that another fine mez is free because it's their favourite part of our coverage. <laughs> How bad is our writing that they'd rather listen to us giggling than read our stories? Especially if they'd rather listen to investors talking than to listen to us giggling. (laughs) But this week, um, in all seriousness, I really do urge you to read some of the stories we're discussing today. Um, And because perhaps, George, yours yours is a bit more newsy, um, let's start with you. So you've written a great story about a deal from... Uh, deal from France, um, from BPCE this week, that has perhaps uh, divided opinion, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, we started the day and, and it wasn't even really the plan to write a big story on this, but yes. it, we realised that you know, it was kind of one of those times where it's great fun to be a journalist, because basically we were just calling people up and everyone was giving kind of more and more outrageous quotes uh, like one guy said he fell off his chair when he saw the, the pricing level. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's actually happened here is BPC have done a massive, I think the biggest publicly marketed Euro RMBS of the year uh, with French collateral. Um, but the only way they managed to pull it off basically was giving a very generous spread um, to get as many investors in the book as they could. And I mean, by some estimates, it was sort of, 10 basis points above where like people thought the market was so yeah, that's a price a of 70 70 basis points yeah Over three month euro i think so people saying 60 was more appropriate yeah so i mean it, it generally seen as like french rmbs's should offer a pickup of five to ten basis points over dutch and there was a dutch deal green lion priced at 45 in september now maybe the market's a little bit wider than that than then and yeah. green line was green so yeah. you could say 15 um so that gets you to 60 i mean some people said definitely they could have got to 65 so uh but they had the, a massive book i think someone said it was the biggest book any euro dealers had this year although possibly one of the auto deals in february maybe had a slightly bigger one it's definitely the biggest in the second half of the year and, and and like the context of that is it is it going to move the whole market wider now? Like is ever are those bankers that are <laughs> flagging it off, shall we say? Are they also going? Oh damn it! That's gonna <laughs> that's gonna cause me troubles. And I don't know of- if, if everyone is certain uh, that it will move the whole market wider, but it's clearly like a new sort of reference point. Um, as I think it, it is a very consequential deal, to be honest. I think uh, mm. this does move the market wider. 
and I actually wrote an opinion piece on the 7th of September saying the market hadn't repriced for the ECB's exit at the end of March and that leads needed to start from a wider level and build a bigger book. So I'm very happy to note that that's been vindicated by this deal. Um, See, it always, it always comes across that like me and Victoria are the arrogant ones. But here we go. <laughs> I predicted in September the 7th, actually. I did, I did predict on September the 7th. But yes, uh, maybe in a slightly less self-satisfied way, I do think this is very actually positive for the market, um, particularly to see such a, such a big book proves how much demand is still out there if the price is right. And I mean, that's what people are saying to me, basically. If investors demand their premium over secondary and over kind of uh, like where people, some bankers might like to think the uh, the bonds should trade. But like if you give them that, then you can still do massive amounts of funding in ABS, which is impressive, particularly considering those record volumes since GFC in September. Um, and I, I just think hopefully this could be the actual moment where the market kind of moves on from this narrative of like, oh, it's impossible to place the seniors. Like the seniors are so hard. The mares is going so well, but ugh, if only the class A's are easier. Didn't you just to like bring that 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 very hopeful message down a notch? Didn't you didn't you say you're getting a bit fed up of saying that every single week? Um, that hopefully <laughs> this is the moment. This is the moment where we'll finally move on from that narrative. Um, yeah, I think it's more a case of me being frustrated with that just that is wishful thinking but this i do think is genuinely a, a deal that could uh, could move us on yeah and you mentioned that sort of other element of the story um it's so hard to place the seniors but there's strong demand for the mez so how's how's that doing any any silver linings there yeah so i mean the mez has obviously has been in very high demand throughout september and I mean, i've written more than one story about that but um, just a, a, a few minutes ago, we've had a book update from Italian auto deal Stella from Stellantis, um, and that's showing some pretty decent coverage now on the single A rated uh, Class Cs and the triple B rated uh, Class Ds are 2.55 times covered, while the Class Bs are 1.2 times covered. Stella demand for Stella. <laughs> the the seniors for that deal were were, were pre-placed. Um, I think what that all means is Mez is is still doing decently. Maybe maybe it's got slightly harder, but I think the fact that that demand started for that a bit slowly for that deal is more down to the fact that investors are very busy. I mean, I I got a good quote in the story from a banker about that, saying how frustrated they were, uh, how they had to call investors hour after hour uh, and they didn't know how to change the situation but i think you know we're going to see things go slowly but steadily but if we take a slightly broader um perspective how much does all of this matter in the end are we now sort of getting close to a point where everything winds down for the year and we're coming back again in january what do you think i think there's still quite a bit to go um maybe less on the euro side so uh, you know, since since the the madness of September, we've been going at kind of two or three deals a week, and I think that will continue till the end of October at least, and maybe into the the early part of November, but not not beyond kind of the first week of November. 
Um, it was on Sterling side. I think we're going to see that pick up, uh, and that will go until at least mid-November. So I would say that what's happening here with with this BPC deal is much more consequential for the euro market because that's where the ECB has been active, and that's what, or that's what I'm I'm kind of seeing this as the point where the market moves on from the worries about the ECB is not there, like we need to adjust the pricing. Like I see this as the deal which does it. So the euros for euros, this could be very consequential. Well, thank you, George. Um, that story is called vast BPCE trade threatens to reprice European ABS. And you can read all about bankers falling off their chairs um, <laughs> instead of, and, and other similar anecdotes. Uh, <laughs> um, if you actually read it rather than listen to, to us. Well, we've given away the, the fall Nattering the away about it. Is that the only one? I swear there was There's another There's the blame game. The blame game. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't say it. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> and, and more and more uh, bankers. Yes. But meanwhile, Victoria, I think your story is one of those that People in securitization tend to love more than more than most sectors. I'd say it's a real nitty gritty piece about reporting CLO docs correctly, um, and this is on ESG disclosures for CLOs. So, so why has that come out just this week, and where where are the sort of regulatory changes? Well, there weren't really any regulatory changes, um, which is why why uh, George's piece was slightly more newsy. The thing that was new is that um, the European Leveraged Financed Association published a report um, that was the result of several months of work um, with the goal to give CLO market participants and especially CLO managers a practical guide to make carbon reporting more structured and transparent across the market. It's it's not a super long paper with about seven pages, uh, but it's a pretty technical document. And I actually went through it with a little yellow marker, like back in good old uni days. Did you print it out? I did not. I did not. I, I did think of the trees first. I was tempted. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be, wouldn't be good for your carbon reporting. I was wondering if it would actually be good for a printer in the office. I don't know if that's like like a car that you need to keep running occasionally so that it doesn't die. Um, <laughs> I don't think I know how to use the printer in the office. Um, <laughs> I know, um, but I had like 80 pounds of printing credits when I started at first year of uni and at the end I still had 80 pounds of printing credits. Did you try and sell them <laughs> um, but I, I imagine that a lot of people haven't had time to read it yet so can, can you give us a sort of quick overview of what's what's actually in there yeah um sure that that is i think that is pretty accurate because i did talk to i just asked a couple of people in the market and they were like well i was really busy this week um, can we talk about it in a couple of days maybe so um, that is why we exist that's right? why we're here exactly <laughs> completely justified our existence so yes of course everybody asks i'm really happy to give you an overview um so it starts with an illustration of how pressure to disclose climate impact data affects different parts of this chain in the CLO world from the money owners to the asset managers to the CLO managers to the borrowers um, because CLO managers are actually not affected directly by many regulatory frameworks um, 
I go into more detail of that in the piece, but I don't want to be throwing acronyms around here like we normally do. Um, it's been such a nice acronym-free uh, episode so far. Um, but yeah, like basically, if a pension fund who invests in the CLO needs to report on carbon emissions, they will ask the CLO manager to provide that data. Um, so that is that that is relevant for them as well. Uh, regulations been evolving kind of for the last two years by now. Um, so shouldn't people be kind of aware of this already? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but raising awareness isn't really the point of the report. Someone in the market told me that there was actually some debate about the title. Um, so the report currently in this version is called CLO Carbon and Climate Disclosures, Methods for Enhancing Transparency, which of course is a very accurate and good title. Um, but there was an alternative name that was sort of being discussed that could have been something like Beyond Awareness, a Practical Guide to Disclosures. Disclosures. So this is meant to help people who know they have to do something but are maybe a bit confused as to where to start or people who have started disclosing and reporting data but aren't really sure how to proceed. Because the thing is, there's about 65 CLO managers in Europe. There are a lot of different asset managers and so on. And everybody has been aware and sort of working on complying with all this regulation. Um, but a lot of people have been cooking their own stew so far. And um, one of the people involved in writing the paper that I talked to put it very nicely. Um, he said that it should bring some structure into the cacophony of noise um, around carbon reporting. Great word, cacophony, in my view. Uh, what else is in the... Nice uh, word. Is in the... Um, yeah, so so apart that was sort of the, the first part, um, talking about this this chain um, of pressures. And the next, there's an overview of which regulatory framework dictates what for whom and what the time frame is. So when certain things kick in or sort of what the trajectory is, which I actually found quite helpful. Um, and then it goes into different types of carbon metrics and how to use them. And there is an example calculation. And I would just highlight that the focus here is on climate reporting, just because um, I think Tom initially called it an ESG report. It doesn't really go into social or governance aspects. Um, and I, as far as I understand, that is because the environmental elements come with the most significant financial risks right now. So that is also a purpose of the report to highlight that this isn't just a really fun reporting exercise with lots of great spreadsheets. Um, it's actually about understanding credit risk factors. So you're able to manage risk and communicate it to investors. And those risks could be anything like carbon prices going up or um, there might be taxes or just your, your factory burning down or getting flooded. So those are actual credit risks that need to be managed. I think Tom, your first ever interview on well your first ever interview on the reborn and other fine mess was covering uh the subject of, of climate risks was yes it? yeah with um katie predo yeah. uh yeah it, i mean i just it i always find like like we're so used to talking about esg and stuff like that that you sort of you don't really think about what like like what you're actually talking about is places that shouldn't ever be at risk of flooding, potentially yeah. all of a sudden getting flooded. And and like that becoming just like a thing in 10, 15 years, maybe less, who knows, um, with the well, weather I mean, we've had ways it's <laughs> in October. Sorry, say that again. It's, it's already a thing for lots of places, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, basically every year yes. we read it in the news somewhere. Um, 
yeah. some sort of catastrophe. But I mean, yeah. in some ways, it's at least, you know, maybe not predictable, but like you can estimate how probable it is. And mm. so that should be for securitization people like the bread and butter of, uh, of their job, right? We've seen. I mean, we've yeah. all seen kind of models of RMBS cash flows and that kind of thing, where yeah. like, yeah. it's like line off line of spreadsheet yeah. code. And so probably... they should really have no problem, or they ought to be able to look at this kind of thing and like really price that in. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of leads me to the to to the last point I wanted to make. Um, this climate risk um, sort of there there is still room to analyze that more. Um, so I think that could sort of be the next step in um, diving into this this topic, um, sort of looking into what climate risks means actually in the context of leveraged loans. So we know what high high emission sectors are. There's oil and gas and chemical utilities and packaging and so on. But what does that actually mean? Is that 50 tons or 200 tons or a thousand tons? Um, so I think there there is still a lot left to be done to provide, to give even more orientation to people. That was brilliant. Uh, that's a really interesting article, Victoria. It's by, it's called um, Alpha aims to quiet carbon reporting cacophony as regs close in on the CLO market. Um, oh yes, and before we go, I think I, um, I think I forgot to, we forgot to mention that um, it seems I'm not the only person who's uh, rapidly aging. Um, it was also your birthday on Tuesday, was it, George? It, it was indeed, yeah. Yes, so. well, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank happy you. Birthday. Um, I got the t-shirt which I'm currently wearing for my birthday. Very nice. Oh, what a beautiful piece of information for our listeners. Yes. <laughs> it's right. It's a nice shirt, guys. It's it's white and has sort of black stripes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks a bit like um is it Art Garfunkel when he when he was playing Simon and Garfunkel when they played in the sixties? <laughs> I the think yeah, just striped French style. Yeah, I was about to say, look at the yeah. French. Did you get a beret as well yeah. or does that have to wait until next year? it's too young Um, uh, but otherwise um, uh, well I'm wearing my my birthday Arsenal shirt um, that has lemon 30 on the back which uh, is quite depressing Um, (laughs) but at least Arsenal won last weekend no not not going that road again that was fantastic wasn't it yeah it was fantastic yeah Okay, sorry, Victoria. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, <laughs> it's the Cricket World Cup now. We can talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, <laughs> but for now, um, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, we've done a lot of long episodes in the with interviews in the past, so I think we'll keep this one short and sweet. Uh, but if you ever want to get in touch, um, feel free to do so on LinkedIn or email us at tom.lemon or george.smith or victoria.tila at globalcapital.com um, and of course you don't have to just listen to us sort of rambling away you can get a free trial there's a free trial running out at the moment which I'll include in the link um, see you next week bye bye